Thank you. <laughs> okay. Right, thanks, John, for that. So, yes, my name's Matt Reed, um, and I've been here now for 12 years. Um, I came to Winchester to study teaching, and following my job, I, uh, following my degree, sorry, I got a job at Stanmore Primary School, where I'm still working now. Uh, I've served on the youth team here for 11 years, which um, does make me feel quite old. And I think that some of the youth that we're going to be taking to New Day in a few weeks, they'll only have been about two, one, two, uh, when I first started youth. Uh, for the last few years, as John said, I've led the men's ministry here, and I'm really enjoying some excellent times of worship, prayer, and study with the men at this church. Uh, and yes, I've married Kirsty. Oh, there she is. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we have a beautiful daughter, Eleanor, who's 14 months old. So that's me. So I've been given the task of talking to you from Mark 9, verse 2 to 29, as part of our Marks of, John, uh, Marks of Jesus series. When Steve asked me if I'd do a talk this summer, uh, my initial reaction was one of fear and trepidation. Um, but then I kind of thought about it a bit and realized, actually, it was an amazing opportunity, and I started to get quite excited. Then... I thought, right, I better read the passage that I'm speaking on um, and, you know, start to have a bit of a think about what I'm going to talk on and discovered that for my very first talk here, I'm actually speaking about the transfiguration and a demon-possessed boy. <laughs> Not exactly the easiest start for me, but I'll do my best. Um, the title of the talk is Sufficient in the Ups and Downs of Life, so you can already see that in the last few months I've experienced both of these. Let's just pray before we go any further. Lord, I thank you for bringing us here this morning. Lord, I thank you that you speak to us through your word. Uh, and Lord, I really pray this morning that what we hear impacts on our lives in a powerful uh, and amazing way. Amen. Uh, this morning's talk is going to be split into three sections. And they're titled, The Ups, The Downs, and The Middle Bits. Um, not really complicated points, so I hope you'll be able to remember them. Um, we're going to start off looking at the ups and read the first part of Mark 9, starting from verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, 
Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. So, the ups. For the disciples in this part of the story, they're experiencing a hugely privileged moment. They're seeing Jesus displayed in all of his glory, seeing two people who would have been known to them from the Old Testament, and they're hearing God's voice, a great moment, an up moment in their lives. Now, I've not had such a moment, seeing Jesus in all his glory, dazzling white and standing with two other major biblical characters and having God's audible voice heard from heaven. I don't know about you. But I have had experiences where I feel it is an up moment in my life. I want you to imagine a line graph. Um, And for all of us, I'd hope there's moments when that line rises quite rapidly. For me, this has been many things. It's been getting married, being blessed with Eleanor, experiences working in Africa, getting a job, and many times when I felt the Holy Spirit on me in a very real and incredible way. This morning's talk isn't just titled The Ups and Downs of Life, though, but Sufficient in the Ups and Downs. I've been really challenged to think about how Jesus has been sufficient to me in the ups and downs and how he was sufficient for the disciples at this point in their walk with him. So, how was he sufficient to them? If we look back at the previous chapter, we read in Mark 8, verse 27 to 30, that the disciples had finally realized who Jesus was. And for Peter, James, and John, the transfiguration was confirmation of what Peter had said in Mark 8. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Following this, though, in Mark 8, verse 31, we then read how Jesus starts to talk about his death and resurrection. I imagine the disciples would have felt like, ah, finally, we understand who this man is, only to then hear him talk about how he was going to suffer and die. In Matthew 16, we read that Peter was actually rebuked for uh, trying to say to Jesus that that would never happen. I think Jesus must have been aware of how his disciples would have been feeling. Luke 9, verse 28, tells us that it was eight days later that Jesus uh, took them up to the mountain, and they saw him transfigured before them. Jesus showed himself to be sufficient here by not leaving his followers to feel confused and unsure. I believe he saw the faith of Peter and these other disciples and wanted them to have reassurance as to what they had said was in fact true. His timing was perfect and he knew what his disciples needed. How much more does our loving God know the things that we need? I've often found that it is in times where I have struggled with something that very soon after God will give me an up moment, especially a fresh receiving of the Holy Spirit. It's God seeing into our hearts and seeing what we need at that point and for that reason. We serve a God who knows us that well and knows just what we need. We also see Jesus showing how sufficient he was by who it was 
that comes down to join him in the transfiguration. Commentators say how Moses and Elijah represented the law and the prophets, and that Jesus was actually the fulfillment of both of these. In fact, in Romans 3, verse 21, uh, it says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Jesus was all that was now needed. The disciples, in their fear at that moment, wanted to honour Moses, Elijah and Jesus by making these shelters for them. But God spoke and actually showed that that wasn't right. The focus needed to be on Jesus, not Moses and Elijah. The account of this in Matthew 17, verse 6 to 7 says... When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. He was sufficient in that moment. He was enough. I know at some points in my life, I forget that it is Jesus who is enough. Last October, I had a car accident, not my fault, um, and the car got written off. And the car we'd only actually had for about a year. Um, And so the thought of having to buy and find a new car was just not something that we were looking forward to doing. Uh, But anyway, we went out and we looked for a while and ended up going back to the garage where we'd got our previous car from. Uh, We met the salesman, and he decided, because we were returning customers, he'd knock some of the price off for us. Uh, And then uh, my in-laws were very generous and gave us a small loan to be able to afford the rest of the car. Now, I remember in that moment thinking, oh, how great it was that we decided to go back to that same garage, and how generous it was of the car salesman to knock off some of the price and how kind my in-laws were to be able to give us that loan. Oh, yeah, and thank you, God, for, you know, helping as well. What? (laughs) No. I should have just set up a tent for God. He was the one that ensured all of those things happened. He was the one, not the salesman, and actually not my in-laws, although I will say, because I think they're going to listen to this, that I do love their generosity. (laughs) But it was God. He did it. He is enough. When you receive blessings, where does your thanks go first? Does it go to other humans, other people around us? Or do you put it just down to good timing? It's God who deserves our first. He did it. He is sufficient and he is enough. This moment of feeling up I would imagine, would have remained with the disciples for quite some time. It's not the kind of event that could be easily forgotten. However, if we read on in Mark, not wanting to steal any of what John might say next week, we see the the disciples arguing with each other about who is the greatest, then trying to stop someone who was trying to drive out a demon. And we know that later on in the story... Peter, who was present at the transfiguration, actually denies Jesus before he dies. 
He denies the man who he had seen dazzling with white and whose face shone like the sun. They had seen Jesus in all his glory and heard the word of God from heaven. Yet still they did not live in the knowledge of this, with their eyes completely fixed on God. Do we, after the up moments in our lives? When I was 18, I went on a gap year to Ghana. I was there for six months, uh, and I lived in a school compound and actually next door to the pastor of the school and the local village. Now, I had some incredible encounters with God while out in Africa, including healing for myself, um, being able to pray for others and see people miraculously healed from malaria, and seeing God answer so many prayers and having so many amazing times of worship in a place where I couldn't even speak the language, but somehow it worked. Um, But the other thing was that I also had protection from mosquitoes, to the extent that one night, uh, while traveling around Ghana during the summer, um, me and the other gap year students uh, found ourselves at a beach where we were going to sleep for that night. Um, And we ended up sleeping outside on the beach. Now, all uh, all the other students, they managed to string up their mosquito nets and looked quite smug. I had this silly pop-up one, which seemed, you know, quite a good idea when I was packing, that it would be easy, but in practice, it didn't work very well. And so they all had their mosquito nets, and mine didn't work. So I just gave up and decided I was going to sleep out under the stars, unprotected. But I was protected. That morning, all of the other students woke up with bites all over them, despite being under their nets. And I woke up without a single bite. Now, maybe this was just because I smell really bad. (laughs) Although I'd like to believe it was actually God's protection over me. And I received from the Holy Spirit so many times when I was there. I was on a high and up at so many points. However, between those experiences... I had moments of fear, sin, not trusting God, and actually then returning to England, I quickly slipped back into forgetting my quiet times, forgetting to pray for the little things, not having complete trust in God to heal. Now, I know that I'm covered by under grace and love despite not living in the truth of those up moments. However, there's something within me that just longs to live every day with those truths at the forefront of my mind and not forget all that God has done for me. I know that it would make such a difference in my life. We need to remember these up periods of our life, those times when God does so much for us, those moments when we receive from the Holy Spirit in the most awesome way and carry them with us to keep us looking up to God. We won't always have these incredible moments when we, like the disciples, might see or experience something of the majesty of God. But when we do, let's hold on to them and thank God for them. Jesus was sufficient to the disciples in this moment in Mark 9, and Jesus is sufficient in our moments too. It's what we do with these moments, though, that counts. 
It's about how we live after these up moments of past that matters. How do we do this? Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We need to keep coming back to God for our renewing. So that's the ups, the downs. Now, for this bit, we're going to read the second part of the passage. I thought it was easier to split them into the two bits. So if we could have the second part of the passage up. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, and they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now, when I read uh, this, it felt like quite a harsh response from Jesus towards his disciples. But we've actually seen this kind of response in previous chapters, and John talked a bit about it last week. In um, chapter 4, in the parable of the sower, where Jesus questions the ability of the disciples to understand the parable, he actually says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you be able to understand any parable? And then again in chapter 4, during the calming of the storm, where Jesus says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Then in chapter 6, we read about the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus amazes his disciples, who didn't really understand how this many people could be fed, by providing enough food for the crowd with only a few fishes and loaves of bread. Yet then... Two chapters later, in chapter 8, the disciples have the same lack of faith 
when Jesus has a crowd of 4,000 this time, and the disciples still question him as to how this many people can be fed. Come on, guys. You've been with Jesus. You've seen him work miracles. You've been sent out by him to preach, to drive out demons, heal the sick, and only just recently seen him feed 5,000 people. Where is your faith? Then we read this chapter and again see Jesus speaking quite sternly to his disciples. Now, for those disciples, I imagine it must have been quite a low, down moment here. They were being watched and possibly sneered at by the crowds that had gathered as they tried to drive out this demon but couldn't. They were being watched by the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and then had their teacher Jesus also come and actually add to the pain and instead of comforting them, tell them what for instead. Now, in our times of down, I'm not sure this is the kind of consolation we would be looking for. I found it quite hard to find the balance of hearing Jesus' strong words and applying them to my own times um, of down with knowing that actually he is a loving, caring, and compassionate God. Please, if you're here this morning, don't hear condemnation in these verses, because I don't think this is the point. However, there is something in the strength of Jesus' words and the forcefulness with which he speaks to the lack of faith in his disciples that I believe we do all need to hear. Now, my parents, uh, they both went through times of extreme depression, with my mum my mom actually hospitalised for quite a time. Now, if I'd gone to visit her in hospital and said, Mum, oh unbelieving one, how long shall I put up with you? I'm not quite sure it would have gone down very well or helped very much. However, it is something I think we need to have in our own minds when we ourselves are going through these times. We need to look up to God and cry out to him with complete faith that he will hear our cries and bring us out of these times. The same account is actually written about in Matthew 17, verse 20, where Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is all we need, faith as small as a mustard seed, in order to move mountains. What are the mountains in your life? What is it that you feel you're sinking under? Do you have that faith, that faith as small as a mustard seed, that you can raise up inside you and scream out to God, declaring whatever that mountain be to move? I believe God wants us to hear the strength in his words in order to, for us to feel the gravity of them. One commentator on this chapter actually said, And then, do not let us forget that in this short, sharp cry of anguish, for it is that, there may be detected by the listening ear not only the tone of personal hurt, but the tone of disappointed and thwarted love. Because of their unbelief, he knew that they could not receive what he desired to give them. 
This is referring to the bit in the chapter where Jesus says about them being that unbelieving generation. But we see here, Jesus actually desires to give what we need. His words to the disciples came from a heart of love. He had walked with them for quite a while now, training them, equipping them, modeling to them how to live in faith. But they still hadn't got it. Now, you heard I was a teacher, and I know how frustrated I am at school when I spend maybe an hour sat with some of my kids trying to get them to add single-digit numbers. And I'll plan these amazing lessons. Um, I hope they're amazing anyway. Using different resources, fun games, real-life examples, you name it. And it seems that I've kind of got to a bit of a brief light bulb moment. And as you can see in their eyes, oh, yeah, okay, we get it. And off they go. I feel like a really good teacher. I've sent them off to get on with their work. And a few minutes later, I do my kind of walk around and see how they're getting on and get to this one particular table, and they're all just staring at me with blank faces, and they kind of say in chorus, I don't get it. It's just the most disheartening thing ever. Now, how much more frustrated must Jesus have felt? He had had some light bulb moments with his disciples where they seemingly did get it. They had worked out who he was, and they got sent out by him to teach and heal. However, there were very soon after these moments times when they just still didn't get it. If you are, uh, sorry, whereabouts are we? Are we ready to receive all that Jesus wants to give us? He longed to give the disciples all that they needed, all that would equip them for the life, for life after he had died. Yet they just weren't there yet. Now, if we are ready to receive all that Jesus wants to give, we've read that all we need is faith as small as a mustard seed. If you're here this morning and you think that believing in this is just all a bit too much, don't worry. All you need as well is just that tiny bit of faith and the strength to walk forward forward with that bit of conviction. God can and will do the rest. In fact, Ephesians 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. He is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. That should be such an encouragement to us, no matter where we are in our walks with God. What's also incredibly awesome is that his power is at work in us. That truth is something that I think we need to remember and draw on more often. If he really is able, and we really do have that power in us, then let's go for it. Now we know that despite the fact that in this chapter, Jesus' disciples got quite slated, they did however go on to do great things. And they did receive the Holy Spirit, which I imagine is what Jesus had wanted to give them all along. We are not write-offs. No matter where we are, if you are in that moment of drowning under the weight of it all, there's still hope. We need to grasp hold of those stern words from Jesus to his disciples and both hold them as a challenge 
to get us to think about where we are, what we know to be truth, and therefore how we are going to move forward. But also remember that God's heart is to give us the desires of our heart and bless us in ways we can't imagine. God wants to connect with you and give you the riches of his blessings. He is sufficient in our down times. He is enough. So lastly, the middle bits. Now, if we go back to that graph of our life, we've had the ups, we've had the downs. But there are also these bits in between, the middle bits. What is our relationship with God like in those moments? Is our relationship with God one that is dependent on the ups and the downs? Or is it one that's actually constant? Are we constantly aware of him and in relationship with him no matter where in life we are? The disciples walked with God for many years and there were, as we have seen today, times of up and times of down. But there were also for them the middle bits. What occurred in these times? They walked with Jesus, learning from him but also attempting to put into practice what he had taught them. Please uh, look at these verses that are going to come up. There's a few here. I just want to read them, and you'll notice there's some words that I've put in uh, bigger writing. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Then 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 18 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. And then Romans 12, verse 11 to 12, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. If we are walking with God in a constant way, including the middle bits as these passages from Scripture direct us to, then what will the impact of that be on our lives? How will God be sufficient to us? I believe and have seen that when walking with God at all times, he is sufficient in my life. He provides, restores, blesses, heals, teaches, equips, and forgives. When walking with God in these middle bits faithfully, I have experienced that when going through an up moment, I can give glory to God and thank him and then continue to walk in the blessings of that moment. I also know that in the moments that I'm down, I'm equipped then to hold on to God And call out to him and believe that he will help me. Um, Now, I don't get this right all the time. And it frustrates me so much. And I'm sure that many of you here this morning feel the same. We often forget God and go through life and maybe meet a hard time and try and push through in our own strength. And then get to a point and realize, oh, I didn't ask God to help me. No wonder it didn't work out. 
or we go through a time of real blessing when things are great, but forget to thank God for those things. Now, my time in Ghana, in Africa, years ago, taught me the importance of these middle bits of life. As I said, I lived next door to the pastor um, of the village and the church, and he would pray for me all the time. And the things that struck me most about his, uh, his prayers, though, was that he would pray as fervently for me for maybe healing when I was ill as he would when maybe I was just popping down the road to get some shopping or for the meal we were about to eat or at the start of the day for that new day. His prayers were always just so intense and so powerful. Now, there was a sense of pursuing God here in a real and constant way through all parts of life, through the mundane and the normal middle bits. These middle bits of life are so important in helping us to be all that God wants us to be. And pursuing God in these middle bits should mean that we're trying to get to more of the high moments more regularly. When in those middle bits, we need to remember how God blessed us in the ups and carried us through and brought us out of our lows. Not just see these moments as separate in our lives, but as moments that make us who we are and remind us of who he is. Who is God to you at the moment? Is God just someone who you have a relationship with when you have a positive moment in life and you say thanks? Is God just an aside that you remember to thank when you're blessed in some way? Is God someone who you only call out to in the lows, but then the rest of the time you forget? Is he someone you cry out to in anger because life is not going great at the moment? Or is he your constant friend, your ever-present help, no matter what you might be facing, your joy, the one you communicate with through each day, the one you thank for each and every moment, the one you present every single request to. We must get our relationship with God right. It should be that we do call out to him in the lows and praise him in the highs, but that can't be all. He deserves our praise our thanksgiving, our prayer, and our worship at all times. He is enough. He is sufficient. I'm going to ask the band to to come up, please. Um, When I was preparing this talk, right at the, the start of preparing, I actually had felt God speak to me about people here this morning and people who would need prayer. And there's kind of from the talk, you can see maybe three different brackets that you might fit into. Um, if you're here and you're one of those people who is feeling actually that life is going along quite fine at the moment, it's just all okay, but there's actually a, relation, a lack of relationship with God in those middle bits of life. Um, and Uh, when lows and ups hit, you remember God, but in the middle bits, you kind of lose sight of him, but you're desperate not to. You want that constant relationship with him. 
walking with him in a consistent way is how you actually really want to live your life. If that's you, um, in a moment, I'd like you to come up to the front um, for prayer. The band will start, so if you come up while we're singing. And also, um, I'd like you to come up to the front if actually this morning you're just in a real low point in life. And the words from uh, Jesus to his disciples might have actually hit you quite hard. Maybe you feel that you can't find Jesus at the moment amongst all the other stuff that is going on. Perhaps for you there's been a lot of calling out to God and you feel as yet your prayers have not been answered. Well, come forward this morning and receive prayer again. We believe in a God who hears our prayers and answers them.